marriage is should be good work it should be work that when it is done we feel fulfilled when we have achieved certain things we can say wow look at the product however hard it may have been but now the attitude it's on the one extreme it's those of us who say it's hard work faith you just stick on it get doing it and you know what's the reality people cannot keep doing something that keeps depleting their emotions one day you'll get tired and you think i can i know how long i've been working on this thing it was not bringing you fulfillment and so it's just work that is not profitable on the other extreme it's those people who have decided that it doesn't work i'll just stay for my children or i'll stay for something else so basically do your thing i'll do my thing so here's what other people say the battle between the sexes has raged since the beginning of time there's nothing we can do about it in other words there'll always be a competition between males and females whether they are married or not so these people believe that you and your spouse are bound to compete with each other regardless of your desire to complement each other marriage is like life in that it is a battlefield not a bed of roses so if it is a battlefield clearly the enemies are within so these people basically are propagating that if marriage is a battlefield you should always arm yourself for defense against your spouse marriage is neither hell nor heaven it's simply pegator it's it's a process of paging you for either of them hey this one made me laugh it says if married couples did not live together there would be far more happy marriages it's unrealistic these days to think that love should last for a lifetime how's that one it is what now remember these are other people's views and when people say love should or should not last for a lifetime the important question i ask myself as i read such a statement is when you say to your spouse i love you what do you mean whether you are aware you could be meaning many things others say i want to possess you others say i want to control you others say i need to be loved others say i need a mommy or a daddy and others say i need a puppet so the day i cannot control you i stop loving you if you start putting boundaries have you ever seen when you are tired as a lady and your husband want to have sex and you simply would not budge okay mm. it's almost like you've committed the highest treason and i'm not talking about those who give excuses of fatigue all the times i'm saying when you are genuinely putting a boundary when you have to say no to your spouse whether it's your wife or i told you last time i told you a story of what happened with me and my wife the other day she came home with a very nice dress bought outside the budget without consultation which is a sickness of most people who love the word safe and then she shows me the dress the dress is nice i like the dress but i don't like the idea that 
Yeah. And without consultation. So I, I, I was very honest as a loving husband. Her babes, the, the dress is nice. I think it would be even nicer on the shelf or the purple where you, the, you took it. So tomorrow, return it. You see your face. So now, all of a sudden, what? I'm unkind. I'm unloving. Are you following? Why? Because when I your love is a love that demands that there be no boundaries. If somebody says bound, if somebody says no, now you don't love me. If you can't possess a person, now you don't love me. So when we're thinking, I love you, we must also be thinking, sharp, sharp, now what do I mean? Because I agree, you know, sometimes you, you say it because you have to say it. Okay, honest ones, no. Sometimes when you say I love you to your spouse, you are doing what is necessary. Not what you are feeling that time. But to listen to it. Like I'm the only one who knows what I'm talking about. Are you following? Say, But you see, because we love people, it doesn't mean now we must be boundaryless. Happiness. Okay. Here's another one that I liked. When sin entered the world, pain and difficulty entered every marriage relationship. The plain truth is that this one you must remember it for your own sake. The plain truth is that one sinful man plus one sinful woman equals conflict. How's that? One sinful man plus one sinful woman equals my favorite is this one. Jesus came to the, this fallen world. He watched couples around him. He saw their conflict and pain. Yet he stood by God's word spoken to the first married couples. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. So it's not like God is not aware what we are going through. But what we're going through does not change God's mind about what should happen in marriage. Amen? And so, just picking up from yesterday, I just wanted to add some of the things that, in retrospect, I thought, maybe people know them. But when we were talking outside, I figured, some people don't know what you assume they know. So let's just, don't worry, I spoke to a lot of people. It may not be you, it might be you. Let's backtrack. The first issue that we addressed was that the Bible said, therefore a man shall leave again. From the beginning, the matter of the in-laws was addressed. So when we're dealing with it, yesterday we touched on siblings and so on and so forth. But few things for, those, for the benefit of those who are not there, we're saying in-laws can be a source of pain but can also be a source of joy. But remember, all relationships are alternatives. So even with in-laws, it's an alternative relationship. Based on how you handle one another, it can be good or bad. And we spoke about dependency, that where there is dependency, there must be ground rules. If you and your spouse are going to help your in-laws, you must help them within the confines of what you agreed upon, not what you came with as a pre-arrangement. Again. And the fact that when you are going to solicit their help, you must also have ground rules. You can't just keep dumping your kids with your mother and forgetting that your mother has a life too. 
But then there are other things that I want to highlight that I figured, okay. That as we grow up, all of us, what we call in-laws today are our parents. You do realize that. That as much as you, somebody's parents are your in-laws, to them they are not in-laws. They are still parents. So in, in as far as how our parents raise us, we must be aware that we are gleaning, we are taking from them what we bring into our marriages. And so sometimes we bring the positive and the negative. Here's the reality. Sometimes people idealize their parents. So you think your parents were the best. Whilst at the same time, your parents did very well and in other areas bad. So one person idealizes his parents, another one demonizes them. They feel, my parents didn't do a good job. They were not there for me. They were not this. They were not that. So the reality is, either way, you're bringing that into your marriage. So as you bring that, if you are on the side that says your parents did not do a good job, Find it in your heart. And I don't know why we, we find it so hard. Do not excuse your parents. Forgive your parents. People try to rationalize the mistakes of their parents. If you rationalize your parents' mistakes, you are going to find it difficult to accept yours with your children. Because you want to say, my parents didn't know any better. You know they knew better than you. So you must what? Forgive them and not rationalize their parenting. On the other extreme, if you idealize your parent, you are going to see faults in your own parenting because you try to imitate your parents. So when we were talking about living and cleaving, geographically we said, Live so that you can establish a new set of rules and headship for your family. When you have done that, be aware that your parents' values need to be deciphered first. We all, need, we all know what decipher means. Okay? You need to sift. You can't just say, my parents did this, I'm going to do it. You know why sometimes it works? It's because your father was very understanding. When you may not be that understanding. You know there are homes where mothers are strict. When the mother says curfew is six, you won't hear it twice. You hear it once and that's it. But then you'll find that your father is a very nice guy. I mean, he's the guy. You love him to be it. But then when are you not that type of father? And so some of the things you are trying to import into your marriage, as values that worked, take for granted that the parents together are not the same as the ones you had. And now you are bringing four combinations if you come from normal families of individuals the two parents and the two parents but you are just two different individuals is that okay okay let's jump to the other one that i thought we how are you doing so we said we must also move to make our own sense of family atmosphere. Now here are things that we, we asked yesterday. When you live emotionally and you live psychologically, remember we said psychologically you don't ask your parents all the time their advices. Here's a question that I need to ask today about living emotionally. Who's your confidant at this point? Your husband, your wife. Sure. That's how it should be. Don't answer the way it should be. Answer the way it is now. Who knows things first in your life? Important things. 
you are shocked that a lot of people, by the time your spouse knows, they might be hearing on the phone. And, and, and as we said, you keep committing emotional adultery. You're cheating emotionally. But you say, my husband. You know people who were raised by single mothers and they say, my mom is my best friend. Yeah, hey. Did people move around? Were people who were sitting this side yesterday come this side? Okay, both really they've moved. But there seems to be, or you are more than them. Hella, this chorus here is really going. <laughs> so other people don't get to a point where they actually relocate their emotions. So even today, their parents are still their best friends. Clearly, biblically, you are wrong. In-laws should serve as a support structure, not a directive structure. We touched on that yesterday again. For most people, in-laws are a directive structure. Before we can do something, we need their approval. Parents can give advice, but parents are not supposed to give direction. Now let's look at what has happened to most of us. Most of us don't realize that when you are young, how many of you did uh, child psychology? How many of us have been children? Let's leave that off. <laughs> when we grow up, I'm sure you've done development, you grew up, you know that. There's a time when you are totally dependent on your parents. Everything, security, provision, identity comes from your parents. You get to the teenage years, your parents don't know much anymore. You know everything. Again. And then you get into young adults, you realize that my parents actually know something as much as I know something so we can help one another. So by the time you get married, it is assumed that you have developed enough identity, security from your parents to actually create some for the next person. But you realize that other people have not moved on. And why have they not moved on? It's because home, this concept of living, produces anxiety to everyone involved. You know when you know you have to leave your parents, who was happy to leave their parents? Your parents must have been very bad. <laughs> By the time you leave, obviously we, we are happy for different reasons. Sometimes you are married to this charm and you think, whoa. Hey, Pella, you remember, you remember, Pule told us again. You remember, Pule told us so when he was coming there. If you were at their wedding, you will know she was swept off. So here's what happens. Parents are anxious. Ne? Why are parents anxious? Remember, living is a form of loss. And it has similar symptoms to grieving. Do you all understand it? So there is a, it's a detachment and it's real. And so even as we speak about it, don't think about it like, oh, living, living is like. No, be aware that it's a form of a loss. So one, parents feel a loss of a child. But Luana, as you live, remember you are moving from familiarity to unfamiliar territory. How many of you have ever been dropped first day of school? Okay, you still remember what it was like. You remember dropping your child? Not yet. Whew. Ask those who did, eh? 
others cry, the child cries, the mother cries. But how long did we decide that the child should go to school? Like years, right? But on the day, the living feels like a loss. Are you following? Now, the living and the cleaving, hence it becomes a problem. Because here, as I live, I'm living familiar things. Things that have given me security. My home has been the center of gravitation. If I need support, guess where I went? Home. If I am somewhere and stranded, where's the best place to be? Home. All of a sudden, I don't have a home where the back does not end with me. When I was at home, guess what? The parents took all the flag. Now I have to go and be, I don't know how to take the flag. All of a sudden, I'm given the responsibility. Now the back stops with you. Are you following? And so both of us become anxious as much as our parents are anxious. Another thing that we should touch on is that how many of us have had the, uh, when you had your first child, one of the parents came to help? Was it your husband's mother? Hopefully not. Hopefully it was your mother. But in most cases, when you have your first child, the in-laws come. And depending on the kind of relationship that has been developed, remember the relationship may have developed before the wedding. Which is why it is important sometimes to go back and correct the past. You know, other people, their relationship with their in-laws could have been good, except that towards the wedding day or wedding preparations, there were conflicts. Parents feel, my child is getting married. This is my last chance of demonstrating my love and saying my goodbyes. So therefore, this day is important to me. I want to give them a well-deserved send-off. I want to mourn my losses. You understand? So the wedding, somehow, from their perspective, it's about them and their friends and those that they have been telling them, or, my daughter is getting married, my son is getting married, then... And so my friends must come and see how my child has turned out. You realize the legitimacy of their... On the other hand, there is us. It is our wedding. It's not our, their wedding. We have to have... Our day has to be the way we want it to be. Now look at all of us feel very strong about these things. I'm sure those of you who are very anointed to watch my perfect wedding. <laughs> You've you witnessed some of those. I saw an episode. I don't know whether it was an episode or it was an advertisement. Yeah, that woman who says, what if I want me as a mother, I want the red carpet. <laughs> you remember that one? So you, you're thinking, but understand, it is my baby, and I'm going to make sure that everything is perfect for me too. So you realize what happens. By the time I tell you that your mother doesn't like me, it's not an issue that started now. It's the fact that your mother wanted her way then, and I also felt if she wants her way, let it be her money. 
And I was not very tactful in telling her that. Are you still following? Now, the, what has happened? The bitterness has grown. You have not gone to correct the past. You've kept them. So you're still hanging on to, they did this, they did that, they did this, they did this. Okay, watch. So now the mother-in-law or whoever comes when the baby is born. Now, if I ask this question, don't raise your hand. If you are a husband, you can raise it. How many of us have been made to feel that we don't know how to handle babies? So you get there, the mother is there to help you. Né? But instead of feeling help, you feel judged. You feel like... The reality is, I do not have experience in this thing. But your role was not to come and expose Your role was to come and aid me in developing experience. Are you still following? So now, tensions are increasing now. So when you are going to have some level of dependency, you must also communicate your expectations. I'm not here. Here's the last one that I wanted to touch on, which I thought other people may have. Nurturing relationships with in-laws. I, I came to this one because I thought, maybe we talk a lot about in-laws leaving them, such that other people are convinced that we must really abandon them, even though we spoke about scripture study, what scripture says. But I wanted to read a few things that I think practically can help you with your in-laws and even with your parents as they grow old. Number one, remember to appreciate your in-laws. A lot of us think because we are not appreciated by our in-laws, we, sh we should in turn not appreciate them. And appreciation takes many forms, isn't it? Buying stuff, phoning them. You know, when you stand that day, I let a reply. You sound so convincing, except that you do it only that day. I want to thank my husband's parents for raising such a handsome guy for me. Let's be honest. Wasn't that the last time they heard you say that? Agir? So when we see, you know, appreciation makes people feel important. And because people are suckers of appreciation, when you appreciate them, they like you. Because remember, many of us are not appreciated. But you know what we do, general? Your mother-in-law gives you attitude. Your father-in-law gives you attitude. And you figure, I'll give him twice. Double trouble. Stay in touch. You know, most people here don't talk to their in-laws. Mm, it's, it, it's something that I find very sad because I discovered it with, with, with my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law was a very strict person. But I found that for me, the more we talked, the more we became friends. And when she passed away, I was so hurt. Like, you know when you feel cheated? Because then, all of a sudden, she was the only elderly person that I could sit and share the word with. So she came and fulfilled a role that not even my mother fulfilled. Are you following? And you know how it all started? It did not start like we had a good relationship. We had typical relationship. 
But I know there she'll bring me trouble. Let her have a space. Let me have mine. Until it dawned to me that she's your mother. Phone and check how is she doing. If she says some things, ignore her like you ignore her daughter when she says other things you don't like. And then I figured the more we spoke, the easier it became. And next time when she needed stuff, she could call me directly. Are you following? And you know what it does? It makes her or him, whoever you are calling, aware. Actually, you recognize them as part of your life. So think about it. When was the last time you spoke or saw your in-laws? Have you realized that you seldom, I generally make it a point, even when my mother-in-law is not there, that we go and see the brothers. It's not like we're going to have a great talk. But we'll talk and there's an appreciation. There's a knitting of hearts. So my sister, one of the brothers came and visited us and spent the whole week. You see, it's, it's something that would not happen on its own unless somebody kept in touch. Is that helpful? Discover their interests as well. Have you realized that generally we don't know anything about our in-laws? What we know is what they blurted out when they were angry. But generally, we don't bother to know. For instance, what does your mother-in-law like? I just like shopping. I just, I just like, there are so many other things that people like. Eh? But have you realized that it doesn't bother me? Hopefully it bothers you. Discover what they like and try to get involved as far as you can. Remember, you don't have to do all these things, but you need to do something to get yourself there. Here's an important one. As much as you want to be involved and do what you need to do, avoid getting them involved in your day-to-day routines as a female. You see the difference? If you get the in-laws involved in your day-to-day, you are going to be unhappy. But if you regulate your, their involvement by actually making those initiatives yourself, then you can regulate the situation. Another tough one is this. Seek to forgive them. How many of us have had their in-laws, don't, don't lift up your hand again, have had their in-laws say something negative about them? I forgot to say don't comment (laughs) a larger percentage of us isn't it and if you keep that let me tell you one of the saddest things that I've discovered is that the legacy of the relationship we we have with the in-laws has a ripple effect to our children. And I was thinking the other day, I mean, I look at my daughter, and when we go with her home, you can see the discrepancy. And I said to my wife, we must make sure she goes and spend time home with these other kids. You understand? We may be having different setups and different value systems, but remember, If you do not assimilate your child into a community, you've just destroyed your child. Few years down the line, your child has no next of kings. She's not part of any clan. But you know you and I come from clans. 
all of us. And so part of living and cleaving is actually realizing that this is a nucleus of my family, but there is still, you remember the XL. There's an XL, there's still a, a nucleus. So other people, your child is what? Whichever clan you are, person. And you decide, no. My child won't go as Lalene. Are you following? Why? Because your child is too sophisticated. My child is not, she's a Houghton Shangan. You are not aware what you are doing to your child. Are we still okay? We spoke about resolving the past. And then yesterday we touched on taking care of them. Be considerate. In other words, consider their needs. I think we touched on that one. It's not a mathematical formula. But other things are simple. I, I, I thought about this thing. And as it dawned to me, I, I, I regretted it in my heart. So I'm, I'm passing it to you so that you don't have the same regrets as I had. You know, you visit your in-law's home. Ne? And they have an old tapete. You all know what tapete is. And you know how tapete becomes, ain't they whole, right? And you know, you happily walk on that tapete like you don't have money to put tiles. The toilet door does not have a handle. When you can buy five doors at a go, you get there, the painting was done when the old man was still alive. And when I, for you, it's like, that's my in-law's home. Uh, you see, you've lost something very critical about being a child in that home. And you know what's the funny thing that you are not aware of? At least now I was not aware. And I just, my heart broke as I kept thinking about what I want to say today. Or, you know you would have communicated your, communicated your love to your wife through that. Or your husband, whatever the case may be. But for you, you are happy that your mother, who's a what? Principal. Ne? She has a house in Remsech. And what? And a townhouse in Dainfen. And drives a, a fortune. <laughs> she has all that, right? But you, you know, you are just happy. That your when you go to your in-laws, you just give them grocer. Consider their needs. Because it will do you good and your children good. I guess I'm just throwing them because as I say, yesterday I was speaking with people, I figured Arab people possibly don't know this. Help them with future planning. Have you realized that some of us here don't even know whether our parents have a life cover or not? Other people have not even covered their parents. Worse, they don't know whether their parents have a will or they don't. But their parents have assets. And then your mother is staying with all these other kids that we all don't know the fathers. And everything just goes. And one day your parents passes away and the house has to be declared an indigent house. Because where now you never bother to know fact about what does the future look like. Are we still there?
And then we spoke about remember how to learn to join extended families to celebrate certain things. As I said, how many of us have actually been hit by the reality that chances are now your real family is the church? As good as it is, it's also not always ideal. Some of us have become so close. I have known this guy for many years. Eh? So in a sense, me and him are friends. To the point that now, because we are in the same body of Christ, we are family. Come holidays, you never take holidays with your uncle's kids. None of your relatives' children ever come to your home. The only people that come to your home are church members' kids. I'll tell you, I agree we are just talking about these things. It seems ideal now until you change churches or until they hurt you at church. Then all of a sudden you realize that if I die, my children may not go to a church member's house. How many of you have thought about where your kids are going to live should you die? Should you both die? You have. And you've put that on paper. You better. You see, we take these things for granted, right? But let me tell you. Some kids, their parents died. And by default, they were taken to whichever family seems convenient. And from then, kids have been abused permanently. Why? Because parents never put thought into what happens to my kids? Where do I want them to be raised? Who do I want them to, to raise my kids? If I'm thinking in my own family, who, I agree your kids don't go to your family now. For the very reason that the values you want to entrench are in contradiction to us, they are entrenching. Now, what happens when you die? Guess what? Those of us left behind, we are just going to assign them to whoever we think should raise them. And sometimes that assignment may have nothing to do with values. It might just be a matter of space. She lives in an RDP alone, so you can take care of them. Or she doesn't have kids. Hey, you are not smiling. Okay, these ones are just two emotional things that I don't know how you deal with it, but part of today, it's stuff that I had gone through as a person and thought perhaps I should share it with you. When you are married to, some, to someone, be aware of their relationship with their parents. And do your best to repair the damages there. In other words, do not encourage your spouse to stay angry or bitter or against their family members. Avoid a situation where somebody in their family will die having not corrected what was supposed to be corrected with your spouse. I tell you, yeah, malume watina man, watina. Eh, watina babes, watina. And harisaye mo, harisaye. No problem. This guy, when malume dies, 
I tell you, he's going to deal with a lot of what left was left unresolved. And guess who encouraged him? Is that okay? So be aware that you don't just detach people from families. Okay, here's another one that we said yesterday that we need to repeat. Never make your spouse feel insecure in the presence of your family. Isn't it amazing that, you know, yesterday we had a discussion um, about this same thing, that can me tell you what one guy did? This guy drove this lesson into my heart. His parents came and the mom was talking about, hey, you must tell Makoti to bake for us and what, 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 what. Mm, Makoti does not know how to bake. And the guy actually did all of that. And when the parents came, guess who did all the baking and the cooking? The wife. It's like, hey, who baked? No, it's, it's, it's so and so. And, and you see, the wife is there thinking, Ish, I know I didn't do this thing, né? but I must play the part. Yes, do you like them? Oh, you are such a darling. You. What about you? And, and all of a sudden, it's like, wow. And the mother, it's over your wife. Well, whether it will, in the future, I don't know. But, Obviously, they must have a contingency plan for that, should that happen. But here's what I think what was important was the realization that I always need to protect my spouse against my family. You know how many people have cried, foul, feeling unprotected? Yeah, now, okay. I think the rest of the stuff we covered. Okay, let's go back to what we intended to finish today. Can someone read for us Matthew chapter 12, verse 34? And yesterday, we spoke about harsh and kind ways again. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, and somebody else reads. Oh, yeah. Who's reading Matthew 12? Me. Okay. Uh, let's just get somebody else to read Proverbs 4, 23 and 24. Who's reading Proverbs? Okay. Okay. Mr. Chawan, Mrs. Chawan will read and then Mrs. Mutawu. Can you please read for us Proverbs 27 verse 19. Yes, we can read. Okay, the last one. Let's read Proverbs 13, verse 12. Who's going to read that one for us? Okay. Yeah, we can read. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. He says, how can you who are evil do what? Speak good. What is Jesus telling us? Which is something that I want us to, to grasp today about the way we all communicate. Jesus says, communication reveals the state of the heart. 
He says, how can you being evil speak good? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Therefore, if the mouth speaks out of the heart, let's read that one first, uh, Mrs. Mutaung. Let's read yours first. Can you give her the mic? Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27, 19. As a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the real person. As a face, your face is reflected as in like a mirror by water. You've seen that. Okay? The Bible says, so a person's heart reflects him. You remember, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So Jesus, when he says, you being evil, he actually says, in your heart, your heart tells us your character. He says, you are an evil person. But we don't know you are evil until you speak. Okay, you can read. Proverbs 4, verse 23 and 24. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Can you read verse 24 again? Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt, corrupt talk far from your lips. Remember what we read yesterday. The tongue is a world of evil. Again, it corrupts a person. So now the Bible says, keep corrupt talk from your mouth. And perversity. Okay, let's read the, the second last one. The last one we, we will read in... Psalm 19. Okay, you can read, Mrs. Giba. Yes. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a long fulfilled is a tree of life. Can you say that again? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. sick. But here's, the thing. here's the thing. Let's hold on to that. If the heart is sick, but the heart reflects the person. Are you following? That means, in a sense, there is a way in which this person is sick. But remember, a sick heart still informs the mouth. But then, what makes the heart sick? Hope deferred. You know what is hope deferred? Hope deferred is an unfulfilled expectation. Put differently, hope deferred is a lack of integrity. It's a promise unfulfilled. I hope you are picking something. That tonight we want to look at the heart and look at communication. I agree we're not just looking at communication from just a clinical view. We're looking at communication from the Bible. Remember we spoke about kind words and harsh words, soft words, and lies. Now, here it says, a merry heart, you've heard of that, a merry heart is life to the bones. But hope deferred makes the heart sick. And then it says, a cast down heart, it's actually a decay to the mirrors. So which means, when a person's heart it's not okay. What's going to come off that person's mouth is the sickness that is in their heart. What, what does the second part say? But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. A longing fulfilled is a tree of... Are you aware that married couples are full of expectations? We all are, right? But you realize that when a, an expectation is met, the Bible says it's a longing fulfilled. It becomes what? A tree of life. Then there becomes life in our marriage. But when a hope is deferred, the heart becomes sick. Somebody read for us 
Psalm 19. Let's take it from verse 14. Psalm 19, verse 14. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. I told you this before, that one day I was praying at a campsite called the Fig. As I was praying and praying, praying, now I remember saying, Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. And God said, about your wife. Then I stopped. <laughs> may the meditations of your heart about your spouse be pleasing to the Lord. I'm laying a foundation for you to understand when we get to communication people just communicate from sick hearts and then they think they'll have a healthy marriage you can't have a healthy marriage communicating from a sick heart if the meditations of your heart about your spouse are negative the abundance of your heart is going to flow to your mouth and sickness is going to be prophesied into your marriage because remember we said once the heart has informed the tongue now the power of life and death is released are you still following so let's go back to some of the few things we said yesterday when we communicate, why are we communicating the way we do? Let's just clarify some facts from yesterday. Number one, your marriage is already unhappy if you can't share your feelings with each other. Your marriage is already unhappy because clearly the person you married to is not your confidant but remember when we asked we said who's your confidant now who's your best friend with whom do you have lesser secrets if any and why is that it's because although you live together one of you is already feeling closed out and lonely. How many of us, don't raise your hand, have been in a situation where you feel like your partner is closing you out? Yeah, just look at me with that face. Don't smile, don't just... But you know it has happened so many times. When you, you want to communicate, but you can tell, this person does not want to talk. Question. Does this person not want to talk now or not want to talk at all? The unfortunate thing is that the latter is the case for other people. Has somebody ever told you, I don't want to talk about it. Hey! Uh, remember, when your, your spouse responds, it's just responding on behalf of us. Uh, not, not necessarily. So we spoke about why do we communicate yesterday again. So today let's talk about different types of communication that we have in marriages. Hopefully, Number one, no communication. No communication. Yesterday we spoke about the fact that there's verbal and non-verbal. Again, but our emphasis now, we're talking on verbal communication. 
So verbally they are not communicating. But non-verbally they are. Silent treatment is non-verbal. But verbally this person is not saying anything. Now here's the question. How can a person get to a place where they think they are the only ones contributing in the marriage? You know when people divorce, that's how they feel sometimes. What's why Kim Muruti? Kuri Kin Nafel, always, always. Kin Nafel, who's trying we should talk? You know that. So clearly, when people don't communicate verbally, they may divorce after 25 years, but they had long. Because when you stop communicating verbally, you will see now why it is important. Non-verbal communication is good. But in marriage, verbal communication is more important. Because of the things we said yesterday, you remember? Because here's the thing. Remember one of the goals. I want to be understood. I mean, how are you going to be understood? If you want to know really, really, really that you won't be understood, go and check when Barack was speaking and somebody was interpreting. Ashapa. Even those who don't know sign language were like, Hi, man. Sheba. We could hear what Barak is saying, ne? but we are confused by what this guy is saying, even if we don't know the language. So clearly, non-verbal communication is not very proper for marriage. The next one, ineffective communication. Okay, let's, this one you will be surprised to find that most of us communicate like that. Especially some. Number one, under ineffective communication. Surface talk or small talk. You know what is surface talk? How are you? How's work? Did you eat today? Are you tired? Remember, what's the goal? You remember the stuff we, we spoke about as the goal of communication yesterday? Do you realize none of them has been achieved? So the communication is very ineffective. We spoke, there were a lot of ways sometimes, but we have not really communicated. And I mean, I struggled with that. I don't know. I know most men struggle with that. I struggled with the idea that people say, when I say I'm fine, I'm not communicating. What do you want me? Say it so that I know what you want. <laughs> eh? Details. But you understand I would not divulge details if I have not assimilated what is the goal of communication. Are you following? So if I don't understand that, at the basic form of communication, information is important. So I'm fine, says nothing. Here's the second part of what we talk about. It's still under ineffective communication events and other people. You know, other people spend time talking about stuff and others. Hey, my boss this. Hey, my boss this. Hey, my this, my. Hey, my accident. By the time you finish, you have not said anything about yourself. When we sleep, we spend three hours talking about events and people and 
but I have not understood you. Hey, you look guilty. <laughs> Highlighting values and their own judgments. You know when people like giving opinions about things. Let me give you an example. Hey, I like the way you discipline children. I like the way at church they do this and this and that. He's going or she's going to give opinions about his or her judgment on whatever happens. Most of the time showing you how smart she is or he is. But at the end of the day, what you come out with is that the person likes this, does not like that. But in reality, they have not said anything. Your wife can hear deeper now. eh? What you are implying. We touched on this one yesterday. Complaining and blaming. Complaining and blaming is ineffective communication. Finger pointing. You know, there are other people who point fingers without blaming. I, I, I don't mean to blame you. I, 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 I'm not saying it's your fault. You've never heard that. I'm not saying it's your... Or it, it, it's not you. It's just me. And then they point something away from them. I think, how? I thought you said... It's, it's not me. And the last one, under ineffective communication. What needs to be done, never how we feel. People talk about what needs to be part of operations, you remember. The other night, we were talking and I felt just, a, a, a desire in my heart to tell my wife about some of the events that happened in my childhood. And it was like, you know when somebody says, wow, I, I kind of see another dimension to your life. How many of you have ever lost money when you were young? Okay. I just never lost money. And what happened? So, here's the thing. What happened to you happened to me? They said to me, go and look for it. And never come back. <laughs> hey, you all remember that? I don't know what it did to you. But I, 